Hello, welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me as usual. Darcy, say hi to your fans. Hi, fan, because <laughs> they're all your fans. <laughs> no. no one likes me, remember? <laughs> I'm, no. the abra- I'm the abrasive one. <laughs> you're, you're the one that everyone likes. I don't think um, that's true at all. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's jump into kind of what's going on. We got a lot of, well, at least on my end of the spectrum, we got a lot going on. We just yeah. bought a um, a couple of townhouses. What? A couple of their duplexes, but they're like full three-story townhouses connected. Uh-huh. Um, to expand our property portfolio. They're like old houses that were built. They're just, they're so cool. I posted some pictures on my Instagram, um, but they have just some neat architecture and just kind of some really cool old features built in the early 1900s, late 1800s. Wow. And it was just too good of a deal to pass up. So we put in a bid for a package and they accepted our bid. And now we're just like... They're all, they're pretty much turnkey. They've already been fixed up and they're ready to go. So we're just, are there people in them now? There's people in all but one unit and there's a new couple ready to move into the last unit. There were, there are four of them. Nice. So it's very exciting. Um, we've been painting the carriage house because we've got a renter that's coming in for August, July and August. Yeah. And that one you're doing like a, like, like a, Longer term Airbnb situation, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And coincidentally, like as we were just dealing with the the renter is actually the brother of the guy who sold us the house, like the the broker who sold the house for his customer. And we bought it from him through our agent. Oh, nice. So he has been calling us. And he got us a whole bunch of furniture, like old antique furniture for free. What? How like did I you do that? Posted a bunch of pictures of it on Instagram. It's just so cool. Evidently, he is a broker and an agent for a lot of older families in the area, and they, a good number of them, have been just getting to the point where they're aging out and want to retire and move to like mm-hmm. Florida or get a condo or whatever. And they have these big houses full of old furniture, and they basically told him, "Hey, I need to get rid of it." And he called us and said, "Hey, you guys, if you can get a truck and come get it, you can take it for free." For free? For free. <laughs> we were just That's awesome. like, this is like, we had a whole um, living room set and a coffee table and this really neat old antique bed with a dresser and a mirror and like a matching chair. It's just, there's so much cool stuff that he's been like getting us. That's awesome. And it's like all, so come to- all comes together. So it's like already matching and. Yeah. It's like Victorian that, yeah. stuff. And um, some of it was a little bit. Um, we thought it was 20s, but then I posted some pictures on Facebook and somebody said, no, no, that's Victorian. Like, I just had a piece exactly like that that I got in a few months back and ended up turning around and selling it. But, like, that's distinctive Victorian. So, that's like late 1800s, right? Yeah. 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 So we were just kind of floored because we thought it was 20s, but only because yeah. somebody had reupholstered it and put a more modern fabric on it. So it didn't look Victorian, but... It's got kind of claw feet on the bottom and mm-hmm. just some really neat little touches that are very distinctive Victorian elements. And so it's going to wow. fit in perfectly with the house. We're going to reupholster it, but that's been a whole project. I have another chair that I've been working on, but I just haven't had time. There's just too many things to do, yeah, <laughs> too many real. projects. And I'm like painting and doing all this stuff and we're doing how projects around the house. And then we are getting the kitchen remodeled. And so there's just a lot going on. And you're both working 
full-time jobs too yeah yeah and then yeah. volleyball started so oh yeah how's that going <laughs> um it's definitely been interesting to get back out there after not playing for like a year and a half yeah. and carrying around an extra 20 pounds is uh-huh. like you are like <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> so that has been a little bit challenging um i saw you got some new kicks yeah yeah i had to i couldn't find my other freaking pair <laughs> they're somewhere in this house, but I can't find them anywhere. It's been just like I tore my rooms apart looking yeah. for them. And I loved those shoes. They were so comfortable and so cute. And I couldn't find them anywhere. So I had to. I like Mizunos, though. That's what spring, I have. Yeah, I had to spring for a new pair. And they're yeah. nice, but they're not as comfortable as the other ones were. Well, so hopefully I'll find them. In. Yeah. Hopefully I'll find the other ones. <laughs> they've yeah, got to be somewhere in this house. Like they didn't just disappear into thin air. Yeah. And then Mike told me that I could have the upstairs as an office and a studio, the top, the top floor. So there's that kind of third of the attic has already been like closed off and turned into sort of a bedroom thing with, uh-huh. I think I posted pictures of it online, yeah. but um, it's a pretty large light space, wide open space. And so I get to use that as my office and my studio as soon as we're done with doing the stuff in the carriage house and getting all that ready, then we can just paint and clean that room and I can turn it into my own personal space instead of, cause right now I'm in the pool room, Yeah, which, you know, it's fine. It's, it's a nice space. It's, oh, it's bright and it's open and so forth, but it's, um, you know, we're going to want to use this space as an entertainment space eventually, mm-hmm. like take the crap off the pool table and <laughs> eventually yeah. let people play pool there. And right now, the entire space is dominated by my files and my computers and microphones. And (laughs) I've got three computers lined up. I've got, you know, the microphones, the fan, the files, the this, the that. So it's been, you know, this hasn't really been an entertainment space. And it's really, I think, meant for that. So, Well, let me tell you, um, I am in a one-bedroom apartment. So I get out of bed. And then I go sit on the other side of my bedroom, and that's where my office is. Sometimes I move (laughs) to the dining room. Well, you started the new job, right? I did start the new job. So how is that going so far? Um, Loving it. Awesome. Yes, it's amazing. And like, we basically we started like we have weekly meetings, and we basically started like each like taking a case and like presenting it as if. Like, A, just presenting it to each other so, like, we could become, like, stronger researchers. And B, to, like, for me to get experience of, like, getting pushback on, like, because ultimately... This doesn't make sense. This makes sense. This is the yeah. strong part. This is what needs work. That kind of a thing. And, like, in a kind deposition... Of a collaborative like, in the, environment. Yeah. Like, in the, in the questions that you would get, like, in a deposition. Because ultimately, I think that's going to be part of my role once right. I complete my degree. Mm-hmm. So, uh, getting that kind of experience is just amazing. And it's just, like... Yeah. And that's, you know, FYI, we kind of, that's why we were sort of a little bit delayed in getting this episode out for the week. I didn't want to overwhelm Darcy. I knew she was just starting her new job and I was like, okay, it's really important for her to focus on that for a little (laughs) bit and not so much putting out a new episode right now. Plus with all the stuff that's been going on, I've just been absolutely exhausted. I've been out like painting every night after work and like, just, I'm tired. Yeah, dude. I like, I. I mean, literally for about a year, I was doing nothing all day. Yeah. And then I, so now I'm like working, I it's mean, intense. I work my, like I work my own hours, but like I'm doing a lot, I'm actually like working full days, you know? So yeah. it's like, I have to it's get exhausting. used to like not getting in bed at four o'clock just because I'm bored. So yeah. like, yeah. I'm trying to get used to a new schedule and like doing like 
like research for like work and then also like trying to like I was like I don't have a case this week and then you know fortunately like one kind of fell into our laps that, that ended up working out really well but but yeah no it's good I like I got my first paycheck and it's like I, it's a bi-weekly paycheck um, oh, man. and this is my first one and it's That's already more nice. than like my monthly stipend <laughs> like half, always of good. My, <laughs> half my monthly salary is already more than what I was making as a student so like it's just so nice I'm like planning to like pay down debt pay off credit cards I'm gonna get a new car before I head out to California like I'm just excited to yeah. have a big girl job again it's so nice yeah that is definitely a huge yeah. huge thing that like I was kind of surprised with too because even even just being in San Diego for so many years my income never rose the entire time I was there it stayed the same and then to move somewhere where you suddenly make 50% more Mm -hmm. it goes a lot farther then Mm -hmm. you're just like oh my gosh this is so cool to be able to actually pay my bills on time (laughs) I'm not wealthy and I'm not making tons of money but it's just it's cool to be able to oh hey I can afford to get a new computer I can afford to make make that repair that I needed to do and being a student like there's always the times like between semesters where you like have to really really stretch your money the money is lean until like the until the next semester starts or whatever and you're just like I just to not have to worry about that and like it's just I would always run out of money and and have to call my mom and be like mom I know and I hate that for groceries (laughs) yes and I'm I hate that I'm like 36 and I'm just like I'm not like I'm not gonna ask my mom for money you know what I mean so I'm just kind of like I was just kind of like doing what I could and and uh, yeah I mean I've been giving plasma if I needed money like (laughs) plasma Make yeah. a couple hundred bucks and like call it a day. Like I wanted to buy my mom a birthday present and I didn't want to have to put it on a credit card. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to go give plasma. <laughs> It'll be her birthday present. Yeah. I gave my blood for my mom. <laughs> so yeah, you know, we're just... not wealthy. We're not swimming in money. Like we're frugal with it. Like, yeah, I could, I could go run up a bunch of debt. I could go, you know, put right. it on a credit card and, and just rack up more debt. But I'm just right. not into that. And so... And I've been like in the situation where I've literally had no choice but to just put it on credit cards because like uh, like the what I was making as a monthly stipend was half of my rent. Yeah. Yeah. So like actually it was two thirds of my rent. So like that's not even enough to like then pay utilities. You know what I mean? So like you have to have extra and it just it's so stressful. And like that was the big thing with like find looking for this job was that it was less about because my advisor when I told him I was like applying for a job, he was like, I think it's going to slow you down in your progress to getting the PhD. And I was like, you know, honestly, um, the concern about like taking so long to get the PhD was that I would just continue to go into debt and not be making any money. But now that I'm making money, I'm less concerned about how long it takes me to finish the degree. You know what I mean? Right. So it's it's just like, it's such a relief that was just like, and I know, I mean, it's hard right now for everybody with, and I'm so fortunate to have gotten a job with the pandemic and everything like that. So I'm just, it's just a, it's yeah. nice to exhale for the first time in like four years. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some stuff that's in the news. I know that we've had a couple of interesting things. So today's yeah. story is really kind of one that's popped up in the news lately, but first of all, um, Miss Elizabeth Holmes, She's oh Prager's. <laughs> oh, boy. So we talked about this a few days, or was it a few weeks ago? So she's trying to delay her trial because she's pregnant. By the way, there's a movie. They're making a movie about her life, and guess who's playing her? 
Oh, I, re- I feel like I read this and it's like it, I just lost it. Who is it? Amanda Seyfried. I was going to say that, but then like I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and evidently. somebody else was like supposed to play her and then they dropped out. <laughs> but, yeah. And, and, and she took the Amanda Seyfried took over the role. That's going to be interesting. Should be interesting. Um, but in any case, Little Miss Elizabeth Holmes, um, I knew that was going to happen. I, I felt saying, like... Didn't we talk about that on the episode we did on her, that like something like that was going to happen where she was going to try to delay her? And sure. I mean, maybe she really just wanted to have a kid. Um, maybe it's well, I mean, you can't put your, motive, you can't put like... your life on hold just because like, yeah. something like that is going on. But it does seem a little bit irresponsible to go get pregnant and a little bit planned. You know what I mean? It wouldn't surprise me that it is some kind of manipulation on her part. Just but because it, of everything that I learned about her from that episode that you did. Because I didn't know very much about her at all. No. Um, if you would like to hear that episode, you can go back and listen to the July 5th, 2020 episode when we talked about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, her company. But um, it does seem a little contrived that she's yeah. suddenly pregnant. Um, I was surprised when she, out of the blues, ended up engaged and married to some guy and had to wonder a little bit about who would marry her even if she's he was got like a considerably kind of, younger than her right yes he was a hotel heir yeah. and i had to wonder about you know if you've got the shadow and kind of the specter of this trial that will happen yeah why would you want to marry somebody and and pretend like nothing is wrong when you know that this person is in inevitably going to go to prison at some point it's just a matter of how long they're not going to give her a slap on the wrist and let her right. get away with this I don't know. I mean, maybe she manipulated him into thinking that she would just get a slap on the wrist. Because he comes from money, too. Yeah. So maybe it's just, like, some circles that we don't know about where they're like, nah, it's nothing, and, like, decided to go get hitched. I don't know. So her trial is set to begin July 13th, but because she's expecting to give birth in July, um, they asked that the trial was pushed back. Uh, The parties have met and conferred. Both parties agree that in light of this development, it's not feasible to begin the trial until July 13th. All right, it's not feasible to begin the trial on July 13, 2021, as currently scheduled. Instead, the jury selection will begin August 31st. So they're giving her an extra about month and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've already faced delays in this trial because of COVID and, and whatnot. Right. So um, these two have been charged with nine counts of wire fraud and two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, which is interesting that that's what they've been charged with out of all that's happened in this case. But... His trial, Mr. Balwani, is scheduled for January 2022. Um, But they basically, you know, in case you didn't listen to that episode, those two promised to deliver revolutionary technology that could test for cancer, diabetes, and other conditions with just a few drops of blood. Investors rushed to the company, which had valued at one point at $9 billion. And people thought this woman was just this incredible thing, the next best thing since sliced bread. But... They knew all along that the technology was flawed and had less than 50% accuracy rate. And they had destroyed data that proved that their machines were not working um, and the company was dissolved. Uh, But Ms. Holmes and Mr. Balwani have pleaded not guilty to all charges. Um, And then I think that there is some indication that that Elizabeth will use a mental health defense at some point during this trial. Um, in September, they told the judge that they had planned to introduce evidence from her psychologist relating to mental disease or defect or any other mental condition of the defendant bearing on the issue of guilt. Um, and then they immediately ordered that she be examined by government psychology experts. She's 37. She's married to Billy Evans, the 29-year-old heir to the Evans Hotel Group. They married in 2019. So there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. And 
I feel like this is really going to be one of the trials, one of the most widely publicized and interesting trials in, in a long time, besides the Lori Vallow case. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This is, there's going to be, but I also at the same time feel like there's the potential for it to be so technical that it goes over a lot of people's heads. So, like, I don't know how easily digestible it'll be to, like... Well, the technical pieces of it, but when she starts talking about, oh, hey, I'm not guilty because I have a mental defect. Right. I had this abuse that happened to me. That's where the juicy, I think, salacious parts of it will get into the public eye and the public will latch onto that like they always do. But it's interesting. Um, All in all, like, I, I just wish this had turned out differently for her because I felt like she had the potential to really show the business world that a woman could do it. And instead, she ended up in disgrace. But I hope well, maybe, maybe something be, good could come out of this at some point. I, I, I mean, maybe she can turn be this around. Major white collar criminals, too. You know? Yeah, but that's I mean, what she proved. She's got some smarts, she's got some intelligence. Yeah. Maybe she can turn this around. Maybe she can make something good out of it. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. time will tell, right? I mean, she's obviously smart. You don't stumble your way into a multi-billion dollar fraud scheme. No. Like, she's obviously intelligent, but she just didn't do the right things. Yeah. She fell at some point, or, or maybe she got wrapped up in the fame and the money. And I think it's easy for that sort of thing to happen. Once you start to get recognition and you become, you know, famous or popular or start to gain a following and start to make good money, like, I think it's really easy to slip into that. Um, letting it kind of turn your head and letting it control you rather than you control your own. Yeah, I've been really meaning to talk to you about that with our fan base with our podcast. You're getting a little um, too big for your britches. Yeah, full of myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, number one, we don't have any fame or any fortune because of our podcast. So. <laughs> Mostly, it's just our friends and family yeah. listening to us gab on about our opinions and viewpoints, but. Um, I think if we ever do get to that point where we start to get somebody, please tell oh, us. God. Somebody please smack yeah. me across the face <laughs> and Shut let me know I'm being down. a jerk. Right. So um, interesting um, kind of development going on right there in that instance. But um, you said you had one as well. I do. And this is kind of related to the case we're going to talk about. But this is something that just happened. It's in, It was in the Washington Post from March 26th. And the headline is... A Minnesota man can't be charged with felony rape because the woman chose to drink beforehand. So, tw- this is a Minnesota case, yeah. which is interesting to me because I thought the Minnesota was liberal, but it sounds as though this is a conservative kind of a thing. I'm not sure that where this falls on the liberal conservative spectrum. I think it's probably an interpretation of the law more than an, like a somebody's moral opinion you know what i mean but like it's so but this sounds like a very very dangerous yes precedent to so set. a 20 year old woman took five shots of vodka and a prescription pill and was standing outside a minneapolis bar in may 2017 when a man invited her and a friend to her to a party she agreed but soon found out there was no gathering she blacked out instead waking up on a couch and found that the man she had just met was sexually assaulting her according to court records almost four years later the minnesota supreme court unanimously ruled that this week that the man francois khalil cannot be found guilty of rape because the woman got drunk voluntarily beforehand the decision wednesday overturned khalil's prior conviction of third degree criminal sexual sexual conduct which had been upheld by an appeals court and granted him the right to a new trial and not even rape sexual con- sexual misconduct yeah 
interesting and, and that it was a unanimous decision unanimous too. yeah that's why i feel like it was more an interpretation of the law kind of a thing but like so there must have been something else to it i can't imagine that that's all there is to this case because on its face it doesn't appear that that would be the sort of decision that a court would just yeah follow willy-nilly there has to be some significant background so there is background there. i won't say it necessarily makes it better but there is background. So the ruling also poured fuel on an effort in the Minnesota legislature to expand the state's definition of mentally incapacitated to include voluntary voluntary intoxication so that defendants such as Khalil can be convicted of more serious offenses. At issue in Khalil's case was a state law that says a person is only considered mentally incapacitated and incapable of consenting to sex if they are intoxicated on substances administered to that person without the person's agreement. So if she had been drugged, then he could have been charged. Then, yes, and he could have been charged. But because so she... So only if he gave her the substance to intoxicate her would she have been allowed to No, only charged. if he gave her the, the substance without her knowledge. So, like, even if he had handed her a drink, she still chose to drink it, basically, is what they're saying. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's just so bonkers. Yeah. So, like, so consent and isn't even really an issue. Mm -hmm. It's like you willingly allowed yourself to put yourself in this position and become inebriated so it's your fault yeah basically so on the the evening of the alleged assault the woman went to a bar in minneapolis's dinky town neighborhood which is an interesting name for a neighborhood uh, she went with a friend but the bouncer refused to let her into the bar because she was so drunk that's when khalil and two other men allegedly approached the woman and a friend and her friend and invited them to a party he drove them to a house in northern minneapolis the friend later testified that the woman immediately laid down on the couch and fell asleep when the woman woke up and saw that Khalil was allegedly raping her, she told him she didn't want to have sex, but you're so hot and you turn me on, he allegedly replied. The woman then lost consciousness and woke up between 7 and 8 a.m. with her shorts around her ankles. She and her friend left the house in a lift vehicle, and the woman went to a hospital to have a rape kit later that day. She reported the case to Minneapolis police four days later. Okay, where's the friend when all this is happening? I... That's bonkers. I would never leave my friend alone like that. Yeah, I don't know. Me? So, let's see. It just seems like there's so much wrong with this, like on so many levels. Yeah, so courts that used to require women to prove that they displayed utmost resistance to unwanted sexual activity now apply what uh, has is characterized as a more realistic understanding of how consent typically applies. Um Minnesota rape survivors, advocates, and dozens of legislators see the voluntary intoxication defense as a loophole that still needs to be filled. So under the existing statute, he can still be charged as a fifth-degree criminal with criminal, fifth-degree criminal sexual misconduct, which is a misdemeanor. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it, the same thing happened in, in uh, at a state House committee hearing back in February, a woman testified that she was raped in 2019 and prosecutors told her they could not pursue her case because she had chosen to drink cocktails before she lost consciousness on the day of the attack. So basically what this is saying is if I get in a car and I'm driving somewhere and somebody hits me and injures me, that's my fault because I got in the car. Yeah, basically. If I go to school and somebody comes to school and shoots me, that's my fault because I went to school. Yeah. It's pretty much sounds like it's setting pretty much everything back like 30 years. Yeah. Back to the 80s. Honestly, and, and, and I wonder. So oh, my God. The 80s was 40 years ago. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Good Lord. And honestly, I wonder if some of these legislators and some of these maybe judges 
did this to highlight the flaw in the statute and maybe it leads to a change in minnesota state law but that's completely absurd and that's not the only state where that is the case I just have to worry if, or just have to wonder if there were some other extenuating circumstances involved in this case. I do. I don't. I mean, that's all I have from the Washington Post article. I don't know. Um, but on its face, it sounds kind of. It's awful. horrible. Basically, the only way it can be considered rape is if somebody drugs you against your knowledge. Well, I think that that kind of dovetails nicely into the main case that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. today, though, doesn't it? It does. It does so um, almost This is a case that, that Darcy w- talked to me about months ago, um, and it was one that we knew we wanted to cover on the podcast because it was a very interesting case, and this was around the time that I was graduating from high school, and I was about the same age as her during this time as well. And I remember hearing about this. This happened in California, and Darcy told me, I want to cover this case, I want to cover this case, but not yet, because she had a feeling that this was about to break. And she told me, there's a suspect that they've been looking at, and this case, I think we're going to get some traction on it soon, so I want to wait until it breaks before I cover it. And lo and behold, yeah. here it goes. And this is one where there's always been, every couple of years, there's tidbits of information that come out that police think they have more information, but it never led to anything. And then this week, finally, was when it all broke through. So this is the story of Kristen Smart. So this is a very, very famous story it's a well-known story is the better way to put it a lot of podcasts have covered it there's actually a podcast dedicated just to Kristen smart's disappearance Mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of information out there but because this just broke in the news this week i wanted to cover it um because there's just a waterfall of information about this now like if you google her name like thousands of articles will pop up so and this is one that i mean obviously this happened before i was aware that that, I mean, this happened when I was in middle school, so I didn't know about it at the time. But once I did become aware of it, I had always followed. It's one of those cases I had always followed. So um, it's very interesting. So Kristen, if you don't know, was a college student who went missing from her college campus back in 1996, and she hasn't been seen since. So at the time of her disappearance, Kristen was a freshman at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And we actually know somebody that went there. Oh. Erica? The chiropractor? Uh-huh. She went to slow. Oh, how funny. Yeah. So originally born in Germany, Kristen grew up in the Stockton area with her parents, Stan and Denise, and she had two siblings, a brother and a sister. So in high school, she was a competitive swimmer. She's about 6'1", too. So she oh was, my gosh. Yeah, she was tall. She's a tall girl. Yeah, she was a competitive swimmer, and she played soccer in high school. And at, at college, she was a part-time lifeguard at the campus pool. Okay, so I think that's important and significant in that she's a tall, athletic, and likely a strong woman. Yeah. And, so. and she, um, that, that's just about all we know of Kristen's background, though. Like, there's just not a lot, of, a lot out there about her background. By all accounts, she was a very typical college student, struggling with classes, talking to friends about boys, clothes, you know, this, that, and the other. And she also liked to go to parties. And like most college students... When she drank, Kristen became really outgoing and she, you know, would like introduce herself to people. She wasn't afraid to just go up to people and start talking to them as opposed to being kind of shy like she was in her her everyday life. And when she was drinking, she liked to introduce herself as Roxy. And she also told people that she was from Hawaii. So like she was being a kid, having fun, being in college. And this is the thing that I hate about these kinds of stories is whenever something happens, it's always about the, the young woman's 
behavior right before. And how she's responsible yes. for her own. And how she's quote unquote doing something wrong. But yeah. she's only victim blaming. Yeah, she's only doing something wrong if something bad happens. If she wakes up in her dorm with a hangover, she's a regular college student. We've all been there. Please. We've all had experiences where we've gotten a, had a little bit too much to drink and where we were like, woke up the next morning and we're like, oh my God, yes. thank God I made it home yes. safely. And that's the other thing is we all did this and college is a bubble. It makes you feel like you're in a safe environment. And I discussed this back on our Lauren Burke episode because mm-hmm. that was that that event happened at Auburn where I went to school. And this happened on campus, yes. correct? Yeah, this is on so the slow again, campus. You don't ever think anything bad is going to happen mm-hmm. to you on campus. Yes. So go ahead. And and I was just going to say, like I said this in the Lauren Burke episode, but Auburn, in, you know, in my case, in college in general, gives you this false sense of security because you're just around all these other 20-year-old kids who are just trying to find their way in the world. Like, you don't have reason to be suspicious about people because nobody's given you reason no. to be suspicious about people yet. And this is likely your first time away from home. Yeah. It's your first exposure to, you know, people from all backgrounds and all, you know, lifestyles. And you just want to have fun and live your life and you're away from your parents and you don't have rules and you don't have, you know, curfew and you just want to have fun and experience life. And yeah, unfortunately, this ended very badly for her. Yeah. And so all this to say, like when you read Kristen's story, there is a lot talking about how drunk she was on this night. And that certainly is a not that certainly is a factor in what ended up happening, but it is by no means the cause of what right. happened or the reason. So, but to, back to Kristen's story. So, so the last night Kristen was seen was May 25th, 1996, which is Memorial Day weekend. And she was at an off-campus fraternity party. So like, I guess the slow, which is San Luis Obispo, they call it slow. So I guess the slow campus is like, like it, like this was like a house like right next to campus, but it was technically off campus. You but know what I mean? Greek Row, right? You're on. She's on Greek Row. No, she wasn't officially. On, it wasn't officially Greek Row. It was an off campus fraternity house. So like it, on a Greek Row, that that is part of campus. Like that's officially not college. Nec- no, yeah. Because when I was at college at the University of Washington, Greek Row was off campus. But it's if if the university owns it, that's considered campus. There's off-campus fraternities. You had to, like, go off the campus to go to the Greek row where I went to school. So maybe that's kind of how it was there, too. No, this was, like, not... There was only one house, or there were all (laughs) kinds of frat This wasn't a Greek row. This was an unofficial fraternity party. So it was, like, some guys lived off-campus and they threw a party. But they were all part of this fraternity. But they were frat guys. Okay, got it. Yeah. So it wasn't in it. It wasn't in a frat house. Correct. It was just off-campus house. Um, so her friends actually ended up dropping her off because they didn't want to go to the party. So she goes by herself and around 2 a.m. Bad, bad, bad move. That's yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to blame her, but like guys and girls don't do that. That's so dangerous. You know, and it's 18, 19 years old. You make bad decisions. And unfortunately, this is just one of those that stands out because something really bad happened, you know? Um, but so around 2 a.m., one of the guys that lived in the house found Kristen passed out on a neighbor's lawn. And so he woke her up and immediately realized, like, she's in no condition to get herself home. So right. this guy, his name's Tim Davis, he's going to walk Kristen home with the help of another young woman, Cheryl Anderson. I assume Cheryl was at the party, but in the stories, that's kind of not immediately clear. But yeah, so so. 
Tim lived at the house where the party was or lived nearby and Cheryl lived on campus. So they were going to like walk her back. Um, and this other guy. So there were people looking out for her. Yes. Like she, it wasn't like she was all on her own. Correct. People were consciously aware that she needed help. Yeah. And this other guy comes up and he says, hey, I live close by. I, I'll walk you. You guys don't worry about it. Well, Cheryl still has to walk back to her dorm on campus. So she continues walking with him. But Tim Davis is like, yeah, I live off campus. You guys got it. So he leaves with, so he leaves Kristen with Paul Flores and Cheryl Anderson. So they're walking okay. back. They're now they're on campus. They're walking back on campus, and they walk for a distance. And Cheryl, they get to like where Cheryl's dorm is. So Cheryl departs, yeah, and goes to her dorm. And she leaves Kristen. And I'm sure she had no reason to think. Of course, we're on campus. Yeah, of course. Like, so she she leaves Kristen and Paul uh, to walk back to Kristen's dorm. And that's the last time Kristen is seen by anyone other than Paul Flores. So five days after Kristen is last seen, the police launch a search of the Los Padres National Forest, which is right behind the dorms. So they thought maybe she's really drunk. Maybe something happened. She got lost in the fort. Who knows what they thought? She wandered off. You know, yeah, I get it. They also thought maybe she went on an impromptu vacation because it's Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, you know? I heard about that. That they she just went missing. She took off. Yeah, is what the the thought was by the local police at the time. Right. The only problem with that is she didn't bring her wallet and her her ID to the frat party or the off campus party, so mm-hmm. she wouldn't have had that with her to go on her little vacation. That was still in her dorm room. Yeah, I mean it's a preposterous right. kind of accusation or belief for everyone that's looking at this case now. But back yes. then, I think that that was a normal way for police to look at young women when they disappear. And that is, we're going to be saying that exact sentiment a lot in this episode. So um, because of that, because they kind of thought maybe she just wandered off, they didn't report her officially missing until three days after she went missing. Um, so they're not looking for her. Yeah. They're not looking at any evidence. They're just kind of writing it off. Yeah. Oh, she's a flighty ch- chick, took off. Right. She'll be back. Right. So Paul's story is that he walked her to her dorm and he watched her enter the dorm before he went back to his own dorm. So this is also the last consistent part of Paul's story. So after Kristen's okay. reported missing and they identify Paul Flores as the last person seen with her, police bring him in for an interview and he says, hey, I watched her enter her dorm and then I went home and I went straight to bed. And they're like, hey, he seems like an honest, straightforward kind of guy. Case closed. We'll, we'll see you him. next week. No. Bye. So <laughs> witnesses, though, reported seeing him take a shower in his dorm at around 5 a.m. Which so, it's a weekend. It's a it's a holiday weekend. No one gets up and takes a shower at 5 a.m. So when he when they confront him with this, he says, yeah, I went to sleep. Then I woke up and I took a shower and I went back to bed, which here's the thing. I get that. I do get that. Especially if you've been like super, super drunk at a party and you just feel gross. Like I already have trouble sleeping normally. And if I've been drinking, I have even more trouble sleeping. So sometimes, and you just don't, like you feel bleh. No. So like no. I. Never once did I ever, when I partied, no matter where, how long and how drunk I got, never once did I ever get up and go, oh, I got a shower and then go back oh, to bed. Oh, buddy. I'm weird about, no. like, I'm weird about smells <laughs> and, like, I don't want to, I don't want my bed or my pillows to smell bad. So, like, I always take a shower before I go to bed. Like, but that, that's, like, I, like, we've talked about this before. I'm a two-shower-a-day person anyway, but. Yeah, but I think that's an anomaly. I, I oh, the vast majority of college admit. students. There's, there's fully no admit. way. <laughs> and especially, like, and this is the other thing I was going to say, like, especially back in 96, you could probably still smoke in, like, buildings, like. 
that yeah. thing. And so I yeah. know when I was in college in the in the mid 2000s, like you could still smoke in bars. And so whenever I came home, I had to take a shower because I didn't want my hair to smell like cigarette smoke. Yeah. And so like I get that. I do get that. That's about the last thing I get. Okay, from from but Paul's anyway. behavior. Mm-hmm. So this that same interview, he he shows up with. Um, some scratches and bruises on his legs and he has a black eye yeah he explains mm-hmm. this away by saying he got it while he got the injuries while playing pickup basketball with his friends the day before right that sounds logical yeah they go to the friends and they're like no he showed up to the game with those injuries yep okay. so when you hear this and this is what you just said when you hear this it's so obvious that he did something or at the very least he knows more than what he's saying and she beat his ass. Well, and, That's what it and it's like. obvious to the police too that he knows more than what he's saying. But short of but, finding Kristen, they can't really do anything except keep investigating. Right. That's kind of where they are. So he also refuses to take a polygraph, which. Again, you know, is always presented I mean, as suspicious, right. but I but wouldn't take a polygraph right. under any criminal circumstance because they're unreliable and inadmissible in court. But, you know, everybody says it's like a sign of how willing you are to cooperate with the authorities. So this was seen yeah, as the thing being, is a nervous person yeah. or a scared person or a sad person can also pop a failure on a right. polygraph test. So there's that's not necessarily indicative of someone who's right. guilty. Yeah. But, and so, you know, that's there. That's them saying he was uncooperative. But, yes. you know, so um, it was. Did one, he lawyer up? Did, 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 was it clear that he lawyered up or did he just say, I'm not talking to you anymore? Not after the first um, interview or not before the first interview. He, it's not very clear when he lawyered up, but I know he did talk to them at least twice. Okay. But so in, the, in that first interview, the other thing he did is he says to the police, he says, well, if you're so smart, then tell me where the body is. What? Yeah. Who says that? Yeah. Like, even the best case scenario, why are you saying that? You're shady. Yeah. So he later refuses to testify in front of a grand jury and during a, a civil deposition, citing his Fifth Amendment right against incriminating himself. Okay. Mm-hmm. So after the first interview, Flor- that is a pretty much a sign of guilt. I mean, how many people can you ever name that do that and were not guilty? AF? Which part? The the refusing to testify? pleading the fifth to everything? Oh, yeah. In a trial like that, I mean, no, yeah, not unless you're guilty. But sorry. Um, so a few days after this interview, he does agree to let them search his dorm room. They don't find anything. Yeah, but by then he's had the chance to clean all that up. Yep. Three days later, and also it's a dorm room. Yeah. It's a college. Wait, no. I heard that they didn't search it until after he'd gone for the summer. They, which is they searched weeks it. Later. They didn't find anything, and then they let him leave, and then they blocked off the dorm room. They sealed it, and they brought in. So it sounds like they just kind of looked yeah. a little bit, just to glance around at first, and then they waited until he was gone yeah. for the summer to do a more extensive search. Yes, that is exactly what happened. And by then, he's had more than enough time to use a little bleach mm-hmm. and scrub, 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 mm-hmm. and take away the mattress. And, and so he he's able to leave school because this is back on the quarter system. So he's able to leave school at the end of the quarter. And he's not officially labeled a suspect. He's just labeled a person of interest. Meanwhile, the smarts are continuing to search for their daughter. And they have volunteers searching the area. They have people on horseback. They have people using ground-penetrating radar around the, the Cal Poly campus. But they don't mm-hmm. find anything. And I kind of thought that this was the last of the new information up until this week. But when I was looking stuff up to write this script, 
There's a lot more. Okay. So in October of 1996, a woman named Mary Lassiter is renting Paul Flores' mother's house. So his mother's name is Susan. So Mary Lassiter is renting Susan's house in Arroyo Grande. Mm-hmm. And she found a woman's earring in the driveway that she says looked similar to the earrings Kristen's wearing in one of those missing posters. Oh. Okay, she turns this in to a slow detective, but incomprehensibly, it's not right. marked as evidence, and they lost the earring. Great. Yep. So the other thing that happens at this house, which is actually really freaky, is Mary would hear a beeping sound coming from the backyard every morning at 4.20 a.m., and to her, so maybe he buried her with some kind of a. Well, to her, it sounded like like it was coming from like the planter boxes, and so she searched them, but she could never find the source of the sound. But do you remember what I said she did for work at, on on campus? She's a lifeguard. She's a lifeguard. I'm pretty sure she had one of those watches yep. with with a, a lot because we all had those yep. way back in the day with an alarm on the watch. Yep, and apparently, and then it probably just eventually died. Apparently, that was about the time her alarm would go off every day. Uh-huh. Isn't that freaky? And the really scary part about all of it is if you heard what the mother has been saying in the media lately, oh, they're picking on my son. Uh-huh. He didn't do anything. We're in it. He's innocent. He didn't blah, blah, blah. Deny, deny, yeah. deny every bit of it that, that this is a witch hunt. Uh-huh. He didn't do anything, even though there's pieces to this stacking up. Yes. And the other thing is a neighbor of Susan's also reported that he saw some strange activity around the time Kristen disappeared. So he says that he watched Paul Flores and another man dig in the backyard and they poured concrete late at night. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that he also saw Around them. the planter boxes, yeah. right? Well, that's when the planters were put in. And he also mm-hmm. saw them haul a rolled up rug that appeared to have something heavy inside of it. And another neighbor reported seeing ongoing construction in the backyard that included those concrete planters where Mary mm-hmm. was later hearing the beeping noise. So Susan's house and backyard were not part of the original search. But in 2014, a cadaver dog alerted at the fence line of a neighbor. So I think Susan, like, wouldn't let them on her property to search without right, a warrant. without a warrant. And so the neighbor's like, yeah, you can search, like, yeah, by fence line. Yeah, but even with a warrant, if you've got – you can't take a, a freaking backhoe or, a, right. or a, like, a jackhammer and dig up a cement. You can only go search or bring well, a cadaver. Yeah, and that's, you can't tear it up right. unless you get specific permission to tear it up. Yeah. And so the neighbor was like, well, yeah, you can, you know, you can smell, you can let the dog smell at the fence line of, like, that yard. And the the dog alerted at multiple places along the fence line. Yeah. So. Interesting. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, interestingly, Kristen's name came up again around 2002 during the Lacey Peterson investigation. Because it came out that Scott Peterson was a student at Cal Poly at the same time as Kristen. So there was some thought that perhaps he had some responsibility for this? Yeah. Or they were going to accuse him for this in addition to the Lacey Peterson Yeah, well, because at the time, Lacey was still missing. Yeah. And so it's like he's he went to maybe slow there's a serial killer. with maybe there Smart, was, yeah. and she's missing, and Lacey's missing. Maybe there's a connection, but he was pretty quickly ruled out. Yeah. So in May of 2002, on the sixth anniversary of when she was last seen, Kristen was declared legally dead. And her parents presumably did this so that they could bring a civil suit against Paul Flores. So they filed a a wrongful death case against Paul, as well as another lawsuit alleging emotional distress. But 
those lawsuits were put on hold pending the discovery of Kristen's remains or any more evidence. So basically yeah. for... Well, no, they want they want a resolution in the criminal yes. case, in, in some sort of a criminal case before they'll rule on that. Yeah, so that, that lawsuit's been on hold for 20 years now. Yeah. So since then, various searches have been conducted of Paul Flores's and his family's property. So his parents are separated, or do, I'm not sure if they're separated or divorced, but they don't live together. So they searched... Paul's house, they searched his mom's house, and they searched his dad's house. But nothing of any real value has been found. Last year, in January 2020, the Slow Police took two trucks that were owned by Paul in for evidence to search them. In February of 2020, search warrants were served at four different locations, two in Slow, which I believe are the mom and dad's house, one in L.A. County, which I believe is Paul Flores' house, and one in Washington State, which I don't know who that wow. house belongs to. But what if any evidence they found during those searches are not known um in april 2020 paul flores's house was searched and apparently significant items of interest were found in that search but again we don't know what those items are and the biggest news of that year was when the smart family and i think this is probably when i texted you that i wanted to do this case the smart family came forward and said that the fbi had informed them that information about smart's disappearance was going to be coming coming going to be made public soon and that they may need to may need to prepare an official statement and or get out of the public eye for a while so that was like mm-hmm. when the news broke everybody's like oh my gosh they yeah. solved it a couple of days later the smart family came forward and said no the fbi didn't officially contact us we've been in contact with a former fbi agent who has been our source of information so like the, there wasn't any official information forthcoming basically so. Well, that they that they're able to talk about yes. because you got to be really really careful in a case like this because you get one bite at the apple, yeah, one chance to try this person. If you mess it up, you can't try him again because that's double jeopardy. So you have to be very very hold your cards very very close to the vest in a case like this. And it's been going on for twenty years, mm-hmm. so they, they probably told them, "Shut up, you're going to ruin this." Right, entirely possible. <laughs> and so let's talk a little bit about Paul Flores because. He's a character. That's putting it nicely. So Mm -hmm. in recent years, some women have come forward with some really disturbing allegations against him. I heard they put a call out and said, anyone who's got information about this guy, please come forward. They have. So in 1994, a woman who did not want to be identified in this article I read said that Paul and a friend drugged and raped her when she was a high school sophomore. She's 15 years old. The woman who in the story used the pseudonym Jane says that she often walked to school and one day Paul pulled over and offered her a ride. And this was 94 in, you know, Arroyo Grande, California. I mean, she didn't think anything of it. They had seen each other around. Obviously, they went to school together. She found it very innocent. Yeah. And... One day at school, a guy friend of hers comes up and says, hey, you need to watch out for that Paul guy. I think he's stalking you because he would write her name over and over and over in a notebook and like circle it, which sounds like a middle school girl with a crush. Yeah. But it was enough to create this other high school kid out. Yeah. Well... Jane just thought it was nothing more than a crush, so she didn't really do anything. She was just like, whatever, it's not a big deal. One day, though, Paul picked her up, and he takes her to hang out at a friend's house that is on the same street as where she lived, as her mom's house. And she says Paul handed her a drink in a plastic cup, and the next thing she knows, she was on her back without pants on, and Paul was on top of her. 
and this is the thing in that Washington Post article, she willingly drank it. That's why I wanted to talk about this because yeah. it's just so upsetting. So um, where was I? So she said she was only able to main- maintain consciousness for about three seconds before she passed out again, but she very clearly remembers that he was raping her. So the next thing that she remembers is being dragged down the street by Paul and his friend where they dropped her off on her front porch and they took off running. They didn't even make sure she got in the house, okay? I mean, obviously, they didn't care about her. They just raped her. But so her mother calls the police and takes her to the ER. But basically, the police say they can't do anything because she willingly drank the drink. That's so messed up. So Paul, of course, says that she was drunk and that she had consensual sex with both Paul and his friend. Gross. And basically it came down to what Jane said versus what Paul and his friend said. His word against her. Well, it's their word against her. So that gives it more credit because there's a witness, even Mm -hmm. though this witness was also part of this act. So two years after that, Kristen goes missing at the party after being seen passed out drunk and being walked, help, quote-unquote, help walk home with, uh, with Paul. Yeah. Another woman named Sarah went to Cal Poly with Paul, and she reported that he would kind of tag along with their group, and he would show up to parties he wasn't invited to um, because he knew Sarah was going to be there hanging out. So, like, I'm imagining these are more, like, small gathering parties, not, like, big, raucous parties, you know? just like a gathering mm-hmm. of friends. And then all of a sudden, Paul's there, and you're like, who invited this guy? So at a Halloween, I think all of us can remember a situation similar to that. Like you'd be like, why is that person? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know anybody that knows that person. Yeah. Yeah. So at a Halloween party in 95, she reported that he grabbed her crotch on the dance floor. So like this is like a club or a bar or a bigger house party or something like that. Somewhere that had a dance floor. He grabbed her. And then later that same year, she's at another party and she goes into the bathroom and he kicks the door in after her. He slammed her against the wall and said he was going to rape her. Okay. And this is for, you know, CYA purposes. This is what Sarah alleges. So Sarah was able to knee him in the groin and kick him in the shin to escape the bathroom. And then that's when other people at the party got involved. Basically, they, they ran him off like they pushed him and they. They, were, they threatened to fight him, and they ran him off Thank the party. Thank God yeah. people found it yeah. and saved her. And Sarah still says that to this day she's afraid to go to the bathroom in public places, and she has to have her husband stand outside the door because she still has PTSD and fear that somebody's going kick to the, kick the door in after her. Yeah. So. Seriously. And again, this was one year before Kristen goes missing. In 2002... Paul is at a bar in Hermosa Beach, and he met a 21-year-old student who used the pseudonym Laura. So they begin dating, and eventually they move in together with another male roommate. And Laura says that Paul, quote-unquote, worked at a construction job, but he was really secretive about where he was and who he was with. And, like, in hindsight, she's like, yeah, he probably had a separate girlfriend on the side. Like, he just... He was shady. Yeah. He was very shady. So Laura's friends also said that Paul would, like, grab them and touch them inappropriately, like, touching their butt and stuff like that. But Laura brushed it off. This guy's a predator. Yes. This guy's a freaking predator. And Laura's young. You know, she's like, my boyfriend wouldn't do that. And, you know, he's probably incredibly manipulative and saying, like, no, your friends are just jealous or, you know. He probably gaslighted her. Yes. So Laura brushes all this off. And he was also really sexually aggressive with her. And one time he grabbed a butter knife that I guess was like on the nightstand 
and he holds it up to her face while they're having sex. I have a butter knife on the nightstand. I eat in bed. I eat in bed all the time. I'm not going to lie. That's weird. Um, (laughs) So Laura tells him to stop, obviously, but he doesn't. And finally she like her, her screamings escalate to like blood curdling screams and the male roommate busts in the door and he yells at Paul, and he's like, oh. get off of her, and like, leave her alone, and all this stuff. So he, he basically pulls Paul off of her. Oh, boy. Laura doesn't break up with him, though. She stays with him after yeah. that incident, but the last straw came when they were having an argument, and he hit her arm. And that was it. That was, she was like, who do you think you are? And that was the last straw. So after she broke up with him, she decides she's going to start looking this guy up, and she sees that he's the main person of interest in Kristen Smart's disappearance, six years prior she didn't know any of that before yeah. she met him you should probably go ahead and do that before you start dating it's 2002 <laughs> google wasn't really like a big thing you know what i mean uh i'm trying to remember if i was looking people up on the internet or trying to i don't know that we, that we had like a, a way to search for people back then like i think you had to just like i don't know that we had a search engine in 2002 it may have been like right when. Oh, you know what? I think I did just because I was a law student and I had look, access yeah, to the you, criminal yeah. database and the court. You could go to the court and actually look up someone's name. Right. But the thing is, you have to go to the state that they have the criminal charges in. There was no link in the databases. So sure. if they didn't have charges where you were looking at the courthouse in the county that you were looking, then you yeah. weren't going to find anything. Basically, like in 2002, my method of looking somebody up was to see if they had like an AOL profile. That would have been, like, the only way I could have done it. I wouldn't have known how to, like, deep Google anybody. You know what I mean? So we can give her some slack for that. The other thing, though, about Paul is in the 90s, one of Paul's cousins alleges that he pinned her down and began touching her inappropriately under her bathing suit and that he only stopped when a nearby woman screamed at him to get off of her and she threatened to call the police. He is a predator. The definition. This is a pattern. Yes. This guy is, like, the epitome of a sexual predator. Absolutely. So that brings us to the big news this week. On April 13th, Paul Flores and his father, who we've not talked about yet, Ruben. Which is a trip. Were arrested by the Slow County Sheriff's Department. So Paul is charged with murder. Ruben is charged with being an accessory after the fact. According to the district attorney, there is new evidence that came to light over the last two years, including some, quote, very important information just a month ago, end quote, that led to the charges. So investigators began searching Ruben Flores' home using ground-penetrating radar and dug on the property using hand tools, and they have recovered evidence both inside the residence and in the ground. They're not saying what that is, and they've not located Kristen's remains, but they believe they found forensic physical evidence that is linked to Kristen. Okay, so here's the deal. I don't care if you're my son, I don't care if you're my daughter, the flesh of my blood. If I carried you around for nine months, you kill somebody, you're on your own. I'm not covering for you. And both of his and I don't parents understand. Pa- I don't understand parents that cover for someone in a murder case. I don't understand I honestly it. don't understand covering for anybody. And this is something that like I've told my friends. And I'm like... I, I'm not covering for I'm you. Like, and this is kind Period. of weird. But like if I'm ever asked the question, like, do you think somebody like that you know or very close to could have killed somebody? I would be like, I don't see... I mean... Under some circumstances, I think anybody could kill somebody. Like, I don't, I, there's I nobody I could give they, a blank, blanket statement of no, that person would never kill anybody, too. There's just not. But I have to wonder if it's just a, a matter of being delusional 
or if it's something where he manipulated them and convinced him, oh, this was an accident. I didn't mean to do anything. She killed herself, blah, 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 and convinced them that it wasn't his fault. And that's why they covered for you him. Know, this or is... if they were just blind to this man and his manipulative crap. Now that you say that, it reminds me of another case that we haven't talked about, but again, is a very well-known case, is Natalie Holloway. Mm-hmm. Where... Yorin Vandersloot, and she was from my hometown, by the way, and Yorin Vandersloot basically said she got so drunk and messed up and she ended up dying and we had to dispose of her body. Like, that's basically his statement at this time. But his dad yep. covered for him. And it sound, I'm yep. wondering if he, if, it, it, I mean, that, that sounds very similar. I, I can imagine that this guy must have had some kind of manipulative powers because he's been doing this for yeah. years, for decades, well, and gotten away with it. He's got to have some kind of And you also wonder tongue. the environment he grew up in. Is that the environment his parents had? Is that the dynamic his parents yeah. had with him? It's messed up. I mean, up. where do you, you know what I mean? Where do you get that? So, um. They, authorities believe that Kristen was murdered during either a rape or an attempted rape by Paul and that his father, Reuben, helped dispose of the body. And they also believe that Paul continued to sexually assault women after Kristen's murder and disappearance, like with the girlfriend, Laura, that we talked about mm-hmm. in the 2000s. But unfortunately, the, the defense has been able to obtain a protective order preventing the law enforcement agencies involved from publicly disclo- discussing the case or releasing any of the evidence. So at this point, well, if he's not been charged with a crime, like officially, he like, has. I just can't see that. I, I can see them definitely trying very hard to keep that out. He's officially been, they've both officially been charged. The father's already out on bond. Right. But I can see them saying that it's irrelevant. Like oh. his prior crimes or the allegations of previous crimes are irrelevant to this case at hand and trying to keep them out. Right. But they're also not allowed to discuss any of the evidence that they found for this case. Yeah. So, but then again, it, it speaks to his character, mm-hmm. and I hope they, the judge allows that to be admissible. Right, and that'll be something that's really big in the pretrial hearings and all of that. So right now, because there is this gag order in place, we don't know what evidence led them to finally arrest Paul and Ruben. But from it had to have been some kind of blood evidence or clothes with blood or well, something. From from. What I've been reading and the statements that they've been making, kind of the vague statements they've been making, it doesn't sound like there was one tipping point. It doesn't sound like they found one thing and they're like, boom, now we have it. It sounds like it was accumulation of evidence they've gathered through the years and that they were being, they realized, first of all, they have admitted that in the very early beginning of of her disappearance that they did not investigate properly. They've admitted that. But then there's a new sheriff in San Luis Obispo and it sounds like they have been really crossing their T's and dotting their lowercase J's to make sure that they don't mess this thing up. Like they've been going really slow and deliberate and making sure that what they have is enough to obtain properly right. as well. Yes. Cause if you don't obtain that properly, then it gets thrown Fruit out of the poison like tree the or whatever. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of wondering if I, I'm not sure that they found a, one piece of evidence that they were like, finally, we have them. I think it was well, everything. I guess we'll find yeah. out. So we'll find out. But um, but it's been 25 years. It took 25 years that Paul Flores has been the person of interest or suspect the entire time. And he was just arrested this week. So obviously... Can you imagine living with that for 25 years and the guilt and the the fear and like just always looking over your shoulder? Like that can't be... A life. I kind of think that, like, 
we're trying to apply our logic of that he might be a he sounds like he a might not care somebody that does something like this and that has, has a pattern of behavior with women like this i don't think has regret no. i don't think he's ever worried it's about being caught because he's not faced any of these charges he has a, a felony record because he was arrested in april of last year for being a felon um, in possession of a firearm but i don't know what that felony rec- felony charge is it doesn't sound like it's anything to do with violence against women I heard it was like drunk driving. Oh, he does. Like you're that. right. He does have multiple D- drug D- driving um, yeah. arrests. So, yeah. So he hasn't had to face any consequences for his behavior toward women. And so his I His parents have enabled no. him. Like he's basically just been a very non-upstanding citizen yeah, so his entire it's life hard f- and been able to get away with yeah, it. Yeah. So it's hard for me to see him feeling remorse or guilt or looking over his shoulder. It's hard for me to see, see that from him because he's literally not cared about women a single day in his life, you know? Which is so, very sad. Obviously, this is... Um, we'll update this as more information comes out and the trial begins, and we'll continue to cover this. But it's it's one of those things that, obviously, in hindsight, you're like, of course it was him. But they, didn't, yeah. they really didn't have anything until, you know, recent years when they finally started actually doing their due diligence and, and collecting proper evidence and... Um, but the thing that, that freaked me out was the, the watch alarm that really freaked me out because at some point she was in, at some point she was in her mom, his mom's backyard. She had to have been. And then he, and then they moved her. For those cadaver dogs to go off like that. She had to have been in that backyard. But I mean, wow. What a case. Yep. I, I, I'm sure that as more information comes out about her life and, and this whole thing, cause I'm sure, you know, Dateline will do an episode mm-hmm. and they'll dig into it really deeply and interview her parents. But I'm sure right now they've told them to just to keep quiet. Yeah. And, and the sheriff's department has put out a call for more women that have had, that have been victimized by Paul Flores to come forward because they do believe, like you said, he's a predator and they believe that he has assaulted more women since Kristen's murder, not just in the time, like not yep. just before, but since. So, they're, yeah, so, they're asking people to come scary. forward, too, if they have any information about that as well. So, well, Hopefully he will be put away for a long time yep. and no more sexual assault on other women will be happening. But yep. is that it on that one? Do you have anything else you want to add? That's it. The, the other thing that really stuck out to me reading this story about the other women is the high school student, you know, had the police believed her in 94, mm-hmm. would Kristen have gone missing two years later? You know, it's hard. It's hard to speculate. It is. It is. It absolutely really is. But it's just the idea of basically them telling this 15 year old girl, hey, you got drunk. So it's on you. It's on you. It's just disgusting. (sighs) It's absolutely appalling. And that was in 94. Um, And I just read an article in 2021 that that Minnesota just said the same thing. Yeah, but I remember the culture back then as well. Mm -hmm. And I remember my parents and people that I knew telling me. And instilling it in my brain, don't do this. Mm-hmm. Don't go to parties by yourself. Because you're responsible don't dress for pro- what happens to don't you. Don't dress provocatively. Yeah. Don't drink alcohol because this is going to happen to you and you will be the one to blame. Mm-hmm. And that's just entirely troubling. We still have that. On so many levels, yeah. I mean, the first thing, the first thing somebody says, yeah, the first thing somebody says when you find out a woman was assaulted, oh, was she drunk? Like, that's an excuse. Yeah. It's not an excuse. What was she wearing? What about, what was, it's the person. What was activity like? Yeah, it's the, the person who is responsible for the assault is the person who committed the assault, not the person who got assaulted. 
I mean, it's just... And I remember, too, like, always having to be conscientious when I walked down the street if I was not with somebody. Yep. Am I being provocative? You know, am I showing too much skin? Uh, You know, am I going to be singled out? Don't accept a drink from a person. Get your drink from the bartender. And And that's what they always told us. Never go to a party by yourself. We had, you know, when we were in the dorms, I remember going through... You know, lectures from the RAs mm-hmm. telling us don't ever go anywhere by yourself. Make sure you're, you know, of course I grew up in Seattle, so it's like Ted Bundy right. territory. But like, don't ever go to a party by yourself. Don't drink out of a cup or a can that somebody hands you. Always make sure you're with your girls and you go there to the party with them and you leave to the party with yep. them. Don't ever leave your friends by themselves and things like that. Which, you know, in hindsight, it's smart advice anyway, but it shouldn't have to be that the way. The onus shouldn't be on, on us. And I think that that's part of the big discussion that's happened in the past few years is there are, is people are realizing how, like, women can literally never relax. Never. Yeah. Like, in your own home, by yourself. That's pretty much the only time where you can relax. Yeah, but even then, when I'm in my own home by myself, I'm wondering, is somebody watching right. me through the window? Right. Is somebody going to break into my house because they want to, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's always in the back of your mind. Yeah, I remember you used to have that little cat. Do you still have the cat thing? The keychain? I do. With like the sharp thing? I, have a, I yeah. have a taser. Yeah. I have a cat. I have I mean, a little just the, the things that tools. women are told that we are responsible for is just completely absurd. And then yeah. uh, to, to have somebody commit a violent act against you and be told that it's your fault. It's just yeah. Well, and we just installed cameras everywhere. Did you? Mike installed cameras looking out everywhere at the house. So like, I feel a little bit safer. Yeah. Um, for that, but like, we have to do that, really. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's a thing. Yep. So I mean, I know that is scary. But, but yeah, we're gonna go ahead and wrap the episode up for the day since it's already at an hour, yeah. and ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> if you would like to comment, suggest show topics, correct us, whatever. You can shoot us an email at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We'll drop that into the show notes as well as the resources we use for the show. We do have social media, Darcy. Where are we at on that? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So we will post um, all that good stuff there as well and links to articles and, and everything there as well. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.